Game Topper's Kickstarter 4.0 is going on right now. We've told you all the great things about Game Toppers, but I want to highlight four of the brand new items in this Kickstarter. First is 10 all new thematic game maps from noted board game artists like Vincent Dutre and Ryan Luckett. As always, these are high quality double stitch maps that are very durable, and it's a product that I use every week at game night. And if you want to store your mats, Game Toppers now offers a mat storage caddy. This is a roll-up caddy case that holds up to four 15-inch mini mats. The caddy includes door hangers and is expandable up to four caddies. Another new product is the Young Sherlock Movable Children's or Coffee Table. This product comes with four 16-inch heavy-duty coated legs with casters that can sport up to 1,500 pounds. And finally is the new Designer Art Series Rail. These are UV-protected and scratch-resistant vinyl inlays for the rails of your game topper. These fantasy-themed inlays from artist Brent Woodside are a great addition to a game topper but i can't do it justice what you need to do is head over to gametoppersllc.com or the kickstarter to see these inlays and all the other great products for yourself the kickstarter ends november 28th so don't delay hey y'all it's time for rolling dice and taking names in this episode, you'll hear about games such as Race to the Rhine, Sea Salt and Paper, Borderlands, The Hunt, and Jacques Mock. And will the guys be able to keep their senses after trying Moon Pie Moonshine for taste buds? Well, they never had any sense. Hello, and welcome to episode 308. And before, oh, I'll be there for you. And before anyone disconnects, stops listening, says, oh, it's not Vanessa. That's right. It's not. I'm back. Tony. Man, that was a, that was a weird intro. Uh, I'm Marty. So that is the exit strategy. According to Discord channel, more Vanessa, less Tony is how I was reading all those comments. There is zero chance of that ever happening. So when she only plays like maybe one game a month, that ain't happening. It's not about the games. It's the banter that you two brought to the show. It's about the taste test. It's about everything, which I've got a pumpkin to pick with you about, about taste test, but that's, uh, we'll talk about that later. But yes, I'll be there for you. And you are basing this on the, on the friends <laughs> uh, star who passed away recently. Matthew Perry. Yes. Matthew Perry. 54 years old played Chandler Bing. This was a shock. I was going to say, why? He, he was having all kinds of troubles. Yeah, but supposedly he had hopefully gotten out of that. Uh, he had had a problem dealing with addiction, but he had started providing places for people who were dealing with the same thing to go to. He was a philanthropist and trying to help others who were dealing with the same addiction problems that he had. So it, I don't know, even know if they still have the for sure cause of death yet. Did you watch Friends? Almost every episode. Yeah. Okay. So we did religiously too. And- if you think about it, that that was us. They were our age when mm-hmm. we were watching it. So we totally related to that cast. Well, except they lived in New York. Well, I mean, you know, I'm talking just about ages, that time period in the 90s. That was us. Okay. Uh, and, you know, see, I never related with them. Okay. I, I, I'll, be, I'll be honest with you. I mean, it's a from the standpoint of, you know, did I go down to the local coffee shop? I mean, I do admit I'll use a lot of the quotes from that show, but it was entertainment to me and some of the best laughs ever for sitcoms. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, between pivot and the waxing of the legs and, you know, you can just go on and on and on. My daughter still to this day 
will watch Friends if it's on and she's not really doing anything. She'll it's one of her go to while she's waiting for something else or do it or check out something like that. Kind of like what y'all were doing with Frasier. I can't I don't think we started watching Friends right when it first started. I think it was like people said, You gotta watch the show, we gotta watch the show. So then we just kind of picked up on it from there. But you know, it was a great cast. And actually, it's mm-hmm. funny, Chandler was actually one of my favorite characters in there because he was sarcastic and I'm sarcastic. So I got his humor. Mm-hmm. I can I understand that. I see I would think Schwimmer in his dry pan. His dry pa- dead pan? Dry that too. Dry humor, yeah. dead dry humor, dead pan. I <laughs> mixing them all the time. So just dry the whole pan. Dry <laughs> pan. Dead pan. His dead pan humor. His dry humor that you love. Yeah, I don't know that I saw him as as that. He definitely played the straight guy a lot. Yes. All their had their own quirks, which was what was so what was mm-hmm. so good about it. But I don't know. I, you know, the episode, you said we couldn't relate. There was one episode I totally remember is when um, they were celebrating somebody's 30th birthday party. And Joey was just so upset. He started crying because he thought everybody was getting too old when they hit 30. And I totally mm. remember hitting 30 and, and re- reflecting on that, feeling like, oh, I'm so over the hill now. I'm 30 years old. Uh, the fact they had a whole episode based on that was just funny to me. I think I actually recently saw that one when I was scanning through the channels and I can easily relate to the one with the couch and pivot because I had to help my daughter carry a couch up seven flights of stairs and we had to pivot. Oh, and um, the fire alarm. We can all relate to Phoebe battling the fire alarm where she smashes it and which reminds me. You mean the smoke detector? Smoke detector. That's it. Fire alarm, smoke detector, which reminds me daylight savings time has occurred. If you haven't changed your batteries, go out and do that right now. Mm-hmm. or you'll be dealing with waking up at three in the morning trying to figure out where the heck that noise is coming from. Why don't they have a bigger LED on smoke detectors that, you know, you got to look like directly at it, like right underneath it to see which one's flashing red. Why don't they have it just on the side where it's blaring red when the battery's going dead on it? I don't know. You're, we're electrical engineers. You would thought that would have been part of the design process. If you're going to make me change these things, then Okay, make it a little bit easier to notice that. And and mine that are nine volts, the ones mm-hmm. that are nine volt, mm-hmm. they have no indication on them. Mm. I have no idea. And then they're all, of course, linked together. And I have to, one goes dead. I have to push the button to reset it. And it chirps them all. Most irritating thing in the world. Carbon monoxide goes dead in 10 years. So that will start chirping on you too here. If you haven't changed your carbon monoxide yet. We don't have that one. Wow. We don't have gas. You don't have gas? You're all electric? Nice. Yep. Okay. Because I don't want to die from carbon monoxide poisoning. So you don't have a, you you have always been electric uh, furnace? Yep. Okay. Another actor that died recently is one of my all-time favorite comedies was from uh, Night Court, uh, Richard Mull, who played the character Bull. Okay. That's pretty good. (laughs) Thank you. Some of his parts in that. I mean, that, speaking of a great cast. Yeah. That was a amazing show for you and I, because we watched that when we were in college, didn't we? Yes. Love Night Court. Loved it. And those were the reruns. Did you watch uh, the, where they tried to reboot it? Yes, I did. We watched about half a season and then we just kind of stopped watching. I guess it was fine, but it wasn't like go-to TV to watch and I just Mm kind of forgot it was on. I agree with you. I kept waiting and waiting for the next, you know iteration of, okay, when are they going to grab me? How is Dan Fielding going to make me like him again? Yeah. 
they they totally tweaked Dan's character. Right. Um, it just was just it was just different. I don't know. It, it, they tried to. I don't know. He just wasn't as harsh as he used to be for some reason. And what's interesting, I saw this after uh, Richard Mole passed away. There's only two living members of that cast still around, with him being one of them, and, and I, the other bailiff. That would be Marsha. I'm not sure of the actress's name, but it's the other. It was the other bailiff mm-hmm. with the bull. Yeah. Who? When? Um. Oh man. Now we're now we're going to cost five dollars. But when the older short lady who stood yes. with him yes. when she passed away, she came in. Yeah. Oh, it wasn't Marsha Whitfield. I don't know. Anyway, yes, that, that was a great show. Really enjoyed that. Speaking of Frasier, it's funny. So you you know they've had a new C, uh, series with Frasier. Yes, and I want to check it out. So we've watched four episodes, and it's fine. It's not. <laughs> it's not as funny as the original because the cat, the supporting cast, just isn't as good. There's some decent supporting cast, but none of the original cast mm-hmm. from when they were in Seattle is there. So he goes back to Boston and it's a whole new group. So Frazier's still Fraser, but he still needs people to play off of. Mm-hmm. And they just haven't really got those up and running yet. We're enjoying it because it's just a, a, and it's filmed in front of a studio audience. So it has the laugh track and anything, which is unusual now. So it's fine, but it's not nearly as good right now as what Frazier was. And so those of you listening in, when Marty says fine, that's the usual kiss of death to a TV show. It's fine. That's that's it. It's it's a one and done thing. Now I did finish up Ted Lasso season three. That is excellent. Was that the final season? That was the final yeah. season. Yep. That was oh my! People should take notes on how to wrap up a season with their final one. That you mean wrap up a series? Se- series. Sorry. Yeah. Not a yeah yeah yeah, yeah. a series. That, that was a really really good wrap up, and they left just enough like dangling strings if they ever want to do something with it, but it doesn't have to be. It's a mm-hmm. satisfying ending, and uh, no, I agree. It was it was uh, well done. I was concerned that Donna wouldn't appreciate that show because of the various language stuff that was going on. Got rough, yeah. But she was always laughing, so I was like, okay. I still like the first season the best overall. Mm. Yes, but yeah, it was it like you said, it was a really good wrap up to the entire series. Mm-hmm. I kept thinking the uh, Nate's girlfriend was she, when she said she was going back to Poland. It made me think, I wonder if she's going to see Ignacy. He knew it was coming. You knew there's going to be a redemption arc for Nate. Mm-hmm. I think they did that really well. Oh, they did. Yeah, especially how they he didn't immediately become a coach again. Did yeah, no, I well appreciate that. I, I like that where he was humble. He was humbled. Mm. No, they handled that the whole situation really, really good. And I can't think of who the other team's manager was that was the villain of the show. Anthony Stewart heads the actor, but he did a great job. Mm-hmm. And that and he got his comeuppance at the end, which I like too. Yes. So, so good. I, I can't wait for something else to come along. So I had hopes, but if Marty says it's fine, then those hopes are dashed against well, the rocks. It's, it's fine. I mean, if you, if you like the original <laughs> Frasier, I think some of the same writers uh, are with it. So I'm just surprised that they didn't bring one or two people from the original cast along because mm. that show was so much about, the supporting cast. All right. Enough about TV. Enough this about is a- TV shows. All right. Everybody, everybody screaming, bring Vanessa back so we can stay on track. 
<laughs> That's right. It's holiday season, and so we want to make sure to promote a couple couple big things going on with us. We mentioned it's in our the last holiday episode, season. and they've already two radio stations are already playing Christmas music right here. It's insane. It's November sixth that we're playing this, and two Charlotte radio stations are already in Christmas music mode. Anyway, uh, we announced last episode that for the entire month of November, Miniature Market has a deal going on. If you go out and buy something and you spend uh, at least seventy five dollars. You can use the code ROLLING10 to get $10 off your order. Straight and simple. No other strings attached. When you check out, just enter in ROLLING10, $10 off your order. If you throw in another 15 bucks worth of stuff, you'll get free shipping on top of it. So with the Christmas season right here, Tony, uh, it's a great time to do it. And I actually need to go take advantage of it. I haven't done it yet. Why, why haven't you done it? You need to be jumping on this. Well, we have our secret squirrel going on right now. So what I need to mm-hmm. do is make sure to possibly go take advantage of that and maybe do something extra special for the there person you go. I got. Yeah. So I went ahead and took care of my secret squirrel when they were running the $3 special shipping over the weekend, um, which, which was why over. Why did you tell me about that? I did. It was $3 over the Halloween weekend and mm-hmm. it was like okay I'll, I'll jump on this got took care of my secret squirrel happy to do that happy to get that out of the way so i don't have to worry about it yeah so anyway they got a big black friday sale coming up so you want to make sure to use the code uh rolling 10 i keep we'll, we'll keep announcing it hope you use it and uh, it'd be great if you could use our affiliate link you'll find it in the show notes or on our website rolldicetechnames.com speaking of big black black friday sales we've had a long relationship with the company ewin racing chairs they have provided us over the years with chairs for us to check out. These are extremely comfortable gaming chairs that we've fallen in love with. Uh, they're going to have a big Black Friday sale. And we still have our code RDTN. It's always active. It's not just one month. And it's 30% off. And they've told me that that's the highest discount code they have ever given out. It's 30% off at RDTN. So here's the great thing about it. Even though codes don't stack, if they're having a sell or mark off on one of their chairs, mm-hmm. you can go throw it in your cart and you can still use the 30% off and get that taken off. And the latest chairs that, that I just got is absolutely amazing. I love this chair. It's the, it's the new version with the magnetic neck rest and everything. It's the adjustable lumbar support. That's what sold it for me. That's the best thing about it. Yeah, my pillow popped off when I was in a Zoom call the other day, not Zoom, but Teams meeting, and it goes ding across the room, and everybody's like, what was that? And I go, well, it was my pillow off of my chair, and it kind of went haywire on me. So it was entertaining for some people, but yes, the cloth chairs, love them, and my um, son-in-law has one up in his gaming area, his mm-hmm. video gaming area. He has the leather chair, and he is he's a big boy. He is saying that chair fits him very nice and it is very comfortable. So definitely, if you're in the market for an E-Win or any type of gaming chair, be sure to go check it out. Now, we got a lot of games to cover uh, this episode, Tony. So we just want to hit some of the highlights of ones that we're not going to dig deep into. You and I were big fans of Silver from Bezier Games. Uh, that is the game where uh, basically you have a, a, a deck of cards, a discard pile, and your goal is to try to eliminate as many cards in front of you as you can by playing matching numbers. Uh, take a card, you can discard matching numbers to decrease your uh, hand size, and then you want to have the lowest value cards at the end. They have a brand new game called Scram. Well, it actually came out over the summer. This is a team-based game. But it has a lot of the same mechanics where the cards will allow you to do special actions like maybe peek at somebody else's card or 
gift somebody a card. But the thing is, is now you're trying to work with a partner across from the table and you as a team want to have the lowest score. So we got to try that our first time uh, last uh, game night. That's kind of how we wrapped up with Scram. Scram, I mean, these games, you you, you mentioned it, but it's like Red Attack Cat for people that don't know it or um, golf when you play it with just 52 decks. But the best part about Scram Silver is you have those special cards that you get to do mean things to other people. And the mechanism of, you know, in silver, you were able to, and it's been a while since I've played it, I have it on my iPad to play all the time. It's where you um, declare, hey, okay, I'm done, I'm finished. And if I'm the low score in silver, then I get whatever points there they are, and maybe zero. In scram, you do the same thing. As long as the team is the low score, you'll, you'll be able to do that. If not, it's a plus 10. So it's very similar scoring. You also are pushing your luck with that. You have to eliminate your cards, at least before the person can call scram, they've got to get down to two cards. Now, the challenge is the communication and trying to understand, hey, have you flipped that card over yet? Do you know what that card is? And it's like, yes, I have. And you don't want to, when you expose the cards to get rid of them, you hope you remember or you won't say, hey, is, does my partner see the one that's up and he knows something that I can wait till it goes around to let him get rid of it. One of my favorite parts of Silver was always the meanness of the game. It's not really mean, but I, I enjoyed that part of it. And Scram has that as well. Yeah, because when you match cards, you can also match from your opponent's cards. Mm-hmm. So if you and I are on a team and I see there's a 12 showing and I have a 12 face down, I can you know, take a card from uh, the draw deck and put that into play and replace it, slide my 12 forward, your 12 forward, and get rid of it. So you're, you can work with your teammate in order to get rid of each other's cards. And I don't know if you noticed today, Tony, Bezier just announced a brand new game in their silver line called mm-hmm. I, E-Y-E. That's going to be released in 2024. So it's a whole new set of cards. So they're going to continue releasing a new sets of silver. So you can look for that uh, next year. So one of the things about Showing up early at Qdoba's is Marty and I get to play some two-player games, especially the quick ones. Mm-hmm. And one that we got to play was Sale. Now, Sale is from what publisher? All Play Games. All Play Games. Yeah, okay. they sent us several of uh, these really small box games. Mm-hmm. We actually got to play another one of the small box games the week before called Mindspace, which was uh, kind of like a flipping flip draw uh, mm. sort of deal. Where oh, yeah, you yeah, 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 yeah. dominoes and you try to fill out a board. It's that typical kind of roll and write feel style game. So I wanted to try this out because it was two player. And the draw to this, Tony, is this a trick taking game. You had me at, well, walking in the door. Hey, it's a trick taking game. And yep. he knows I cannot re- re- you know, refuse a trick taking game. I got to play my trick taking game. There's three suits and they're numbered uh, one through nine. And typical trick taking rules. Somebody's going to lead. You have to follow suit if you can. Whoever plays the highest of that suit wins the trick. Okay, that's great. But what's the purpose of the game? The game is called Sell because you have a little map in front of you. And there are different scenarios that you can set up to where you have, um, there's going to be a boat that starts at one end of the map. You're trying to get the boat from one end of the map to the other by navigating around islands and avoiding the kraken that's out there. How you navigate is the person who wins the trick moves the the ship forward one space and towards them. So the map's right in the middle of the board between the two players. So a space forward and towards them. So you're constantly having to, based on how you're trying to navigate around uh, the islands and everything, you're trying to have it so, okay, I need to win this one because it needs to come towards me. 
Then the next time I play, I want to give up lead so that Tony wins it so that it goes towards him. And there's this really cool mechanic of playing a trick-taking game, but it's not as easy as that because there's a Kraken out there that at the very beginning of the game, all the ones and twos of each suit's put over there in the Kraken deck. And at the end of round, and around it happens when somebody has won four tricks, you're going to take damage from the Kraken, and that means you're going to take uh, a certain number of cards from the Kraken deck and put it into the main deck and then reshuffle. If that Kraken deck ever runs out and there's no other cards in it, you immediately lose the game. So that's the main crux of the game, and I just I just really dug it. But one thing that you mentioned was about the round ends after four. After somebody, somebody wins four. Yes. Somebody wins four. You were saying, saying, well, that's no big deal. Well, it's a huge deal because you need to be able to ping pong back and forth so that you can at least get eight, I'm sorry, seven plays of cards in to help navigate the boat. Now, there are ways to get cards back into the Kraken because you can have some cannons and the cannons will go out and they can fire and they can hurt the Kraken and you can put the cards back over into the Kraken draw deck because, like Mark said, when the round ends, you're going to be putting cards back. So it's not as simple as just constantly taking cards into the deck because you'll lose. And we did very, very quickly, mind you. Yeah, once, but we had to get the feel of the game and then we played mm-hmm. it and we actually won and went on to the second scenario. Now you threw out cannons. When you play a card, there's a little symbol in the upper left-hand corner. And if you can get symbols to match up, you can do special things. So, for example, if I throw out a cannon and you throw out a move forward symbol with a Kraken on it, that means we get to take that card that has the uh, Kraken on it and move it back to the Kraken deck. If we play two uh, cannons, you get to draw two cards off the top of the deck, pick one of those to go into the Kraken. But what you really want to do is to make sure to play two matching symbols for moving forward. And if you do, you actually get to move. Now, one of those is if um, you play two of the same symbols, you move straight ahead and don't have to go up or down. So sometimes you actually need to move straight ahead and you have a a card that shows you uh, which cards have what symbols on it. So you really got to do a little bit of card counting and hopefully, oh, what's nice too is at the very beginning of the round, you can pass a card. So you have a little bit of knowledge of what your partner has because you always must pass a card at the beginning. And what we never could figure out, Tony, is do you short suit anything? Mm-hmm. We couldn't find, find out whether that was a good strategy or not. So if you, you – because one of the rules is you have to follow suit. Always yep. got to follow suit if you can. So short suiting yourself, for those who don't know, don't play a lot of cards, is getting down the suit that you have to maybe one or two cards. And if someone leads that suit and you don't have them anymore, then – you can match easier because you can play off suit. And the nine has the well tail, which lets you, if two well tails match up, two nines match up, the nines are the highest in the deck. Mm-hmm. So one of the things is in order to get that to happen, that person has got to be out of that suit with the nine. If I play this nine, did he already short himself? Did he pass me a card to short? And you really can't yeah. talk like that. So that's where the challenge is, is understanding because we never got an opportunity to match those well tells. It was it was it was hard. It Very was hard, hard because to do that. only the nines had it. But no, so that's what I'm talking about. There was there was a lot of depth to this little simple trick taking game that I just really enjoyed. That's that sell from all play games. If you're looking for a fun two player game, there's multiple scenarios in the game. So after you beat one, you can continue on to the the following scenarios, and they get harder over the course of. Over the course of time, so I don't know. I, I really dug it. And another game that we got to play recently, um, the, the, we call this our pre-mark game before he shows up, is a Kickstarter that was done by Forbidden Games, and that is 
Fairies and Magical Creatures. Now, this game, they were showing it off at Gen Con, and you are trying to build a path that you can walk along to see a garden. I got to sell the theme, okay? Uh, okay. It was not nature. You were in nature, but it was not nature. Okay, so maybe you, it was some nature. So everybody's just got a player board, and you're putting pieces on your board, and you're trying to create a path and put plants around it. And if you can get, you the, get, if you can get the plants adjacent to the path, they're going to score points at the very end of the game. Very simple, very light game. Oh, and, the, and <laughs> well, yeah, there's a lot of other stuff going on because you have multiple things that you can do on your turn. One of those is actually grab a piece of a path and take it. Now, what I do like is games like this, Tony, where mm-hmm. when somebody takes an action, everybody gets to take the same action. The benefit of you being the one to select that action is you can also play a card from your hand because there are cards in the game that you're going to collect that have different and various abilities. Yes. And these abilities can get you some victory points. They can uh, manipulate the board, the other board we haven't talked about yet. And one of, so one of the aspects of this game is a deck building type game because mm-hmm. one of the other actions you can do is go draft a card out of the marketplace and you pull that into your hand or into your discard pile. Now, one of the things that is different than most of the types of deck building games is you don't start with cards in your hand. You have to draw them, which is another action that you can take. And then the other board is, I call it area management, where you are trying to get influence from the various creatures in the garden, such as the fairies and the trolls and whatever else. There's five of them out there. If you put 10 of your cubes in a certain area and you are the first one to do it, you have convinced nature that you are the supporter of nature by getting 10 cubes in there first. You get to put this on your board and then it allows you to double the flowers that are connected to paths for the ones that touch it. But it is a very light game in my opinion, because you know what? It came down to, I was trying to build out the garden. You and Bert were out there trying to put cubes on a board. Bert wiped the floor from us. So I would definitely want to try different strategies because I did not manipulate or control his putting the cubes on the board because that's where the, he ran away with it. Yeah, because one of the actions is is actually place one of your tokens in one of the areas. And it's important because not only if you're the first person to get 10 cubes in an area, you get that bonus tile that can double uh, points. At the very end of the game, whoever has the most in an area gets one point for every cube in that area. And whoever has the second most gets one point for every one of their cubes. So a lot of the card actions abilities were shifting cubes around. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, oh man, it looks like uh, Bert and Tony have this one area locked down. So I'm actually going to take my cubes out of there because I'm just giving them victory points at the end of the game. So I'm going to try to get them out of there and into some other place where I could possibly get majority and have the most there so I can get the most points at the end. So it's a combination of area majority in the center board and building out the path, like you said. It's like you said, it's very simple. To me, the game stayed on the table a little bit longer than what I had hoped. Mm-hmm. For a light game, I wish it had been about 10 to 15 minutes shorter, but it is an easy to learn game. And one of those that kind of mixes two things together, if you want to teach somebody, hey, here's how you deck build, and here's how you do some area control stuff, you might want to check it out. Oh, and then it's also the path building of putting, you know, mm. I think of patchwork. So you got those three concepts going into it. And I agree with you. It did. It was like, okay, what's the end here? How do we get to the end? Because it was, we didn't want, it ended up where, and this has happened to other forbidden games that we've played where it's like, we don't want to go do any other action other than these actions, because that's what's going to earn us our victory points. 
So that's one of the things that we ran into. Like we weren't out there drafting cards because we had enough cards at that time. We didn't. Right. Want, we wanted to be able to cycle through the deck because if we kept, we kept junking up the the hand. So we didn't see a lot of the cards. But that is fairies and magical creatures from forbidden games that we got to play them just recently. Okay, I always like my accessories, and I'm becoming a huge fan of the company Gamegenic. Uh, you know, you know, I'm a big Arkham Horror LCG fan, right? No. They just came out with the whole line of Arkham Horror deck holders. And there's one for each of the main types of colors um, of aspects within the game. I really like this because it's made specifically for Arkham Horror. It has a nice little Arkham Horror insignia on the side. It looks like a little book. You open it up, it can hold uh, up to 100 sleeve cards. It has a nice little divider in there that you could use. But what's really cool is it has this open window in the front where you can put your little investigator card. There's an investigator card that comes in the game that shows where you are on the map. And so when you close the box, you can see the investigator that's on the front. So you can build multiple decks and easily grab, oh, okay, this deck is for this particular person and like that. And here's the thing is, it's only like $20. These things are really nice. It's it's almost like a felt type thing. It has a magnetic closure. I, I just love the products that they're coming out with. Big thank you to them for sending me a sample of this because this is cool. Now I want one of every color for depending on whatever... Uh, deck that I build. And the one I'm showing you, Tony, is actually gray. It's a generic, so that's kind of supposed to be used uh, for anything. So those are going to look good on the shelf if I get a complete set of those. But I don't know if you saw this. They have another thing that's coming out in December that I thought is absolutely brilliant. So I have all my Arkham Horror cards in this uh, long tray of cards, and they're, they're held up uh, uh, vertically. And you remember when we did baseball cards and stuff, when there wasn't enough cards to fit in the box, they'd fall over, and you'd have to pack the back Mm-hmm. with some cardboard or something to keep them from flopping over. They came out what I thought was just absolutely brilliant design. It's an expandable deck divider. It's a plastic deck divider that has a piece of foam glued to it. And the other end of the foam has another plastic deck provider so it can compress. So you can squeeze it together. So when you could, you can put it into these trays, you can put multiple into these trays. And if there's room for them to expand, they'll expand and help help keep your cards uh, pressed uh, against the edges of the tray so they won't fall over. Silence as I think through this, because I'm, I'm sitting here trying to figure out, so do they come like, hey, if your tray is a 1,000 cards, you No, there's only one the, size. There's only okay. one size. So you're right. If it's a big gap, one won't do. But like in my Arkham Horror tray, I have like six different types of cards that I have dividers for. So if I bought six of those things, they're like five bucks a piece, there'd probably be enough there to do it. I mean, I just thought it was a brilliant idea. It's not a complicated mechanical thing. It's just a piece of squishy foam that can be compressed and actually uh, provide some friction or some tension up against the cars to help keep from falling over. I don't know. They just come out with some really clever ideas. And I just thought that was cool. I trust you on that. You and your Arkham Horror stuff, you go right ahead, man. Well, let's put it this way. I'll, if I get into Star Wars uh, Unlimited, oh. I'll, I'll, I'll be wanting some of those to put like different dividers between the aspects of, um, of a star Mm -hmm. Wars unlimited. Okay. Did you happen to see the discussion we had the other day in our discord channel about urinal etiquette? It was the funniest thing that started out one morning and just kept going. I commented on a few of it. I just, I only get to see discord, um, early and evening. So I didn't follow it very long. I apologize to all the women in our discord channel that had to put up with these guys discussing etiquette of such that when you go into a restroom and there's a wall of urinals, there's a certain place that guys will go to paste, you know, based on who's in there. Simple test. There's uh, five urinals, one, two, three, four, five. 
Tony, you walk in, there's somebody at urinal number three. Where do you go? One, two, four, or five? One and five or the stall. That's correct. Here's one that was a little bit harder. One, two, three, four, and five. One is up against the wall. There's somebody at two and four. Do you go to one, three, or five? You are. You either go to the stall or leave. No, well, you typically you go to one. You go to one because there's no chance there could be anybody on the other side of you. So I don't know. There was this thing that somebody said there was a study that was done in 2012 where they gave this test to guys where they mm-hmm. showed these pictures and they said, where will you go? And all the guys <laughs> overwhelmingly pick the same spots to go in each situation. And it's not something that's taught. It's just innate instinct for some reason. It's just funny. Yes. And I think even women have a uh, etiquette as well for the stalls. I'm sure if you were to give them a, um, you know, if someone is sitting in this stall, do you go to the next one or the one beside it? I don't know what it is, but based on something, we go back to um, various TV shows I've seen. It seems like they always go to the one next to them in case they're out of toilet paper so that someone can hand them toilet paper underneath. That would be Seinfeld. I've seen it on other shows. I had never saw it on Seinfeld. Oh, it's on Seinfeld. Yeah. So Elaine was in there and, and the other person would not spare a square. That's why she said, can you just spare a square? And she's like, no, I cannot. I cannot spare a square. Anyway, the whole premise of the episode was her trying to find out who that other woman was. Come to find out it was somebody that was Jerry was uh, dating. So, oh, okay. There you go. Okay. So we went down there. So no, um, I, well, <laughs> I appreciate our discord channel. Always discussing key things. Speaking of discord, we do have a big food channel and you know, we have our very popular taste bud segment and we're going to do something a little bit different usually it's food usually it's drink i don't think we've ever done this style of drink before so let's get over to taste buds Tony, this is from you. Tell us about uh, what we got here. So I received a text from my daughter saying, have you ever seen this? And I said, no, of course I've never seen this. And she goes, would you like me to grab you some? And I said, sure. And what is this? It is Moon Pie Moonshine. I have had Moon Pie Moonshine, but it did not look like this. It was clear. And this is brown. (laughs) It's It's chocolate chocolate flavor. milk. This is like it, chocolate it, milk, yeah. I guess. So they had, that's right. They had the banana flavored, the chocolate flavored, the strawberry flavor, the vanilla flavor. It was the moon pie moonshine. And she said, okay, yeah, I'll pick it up for you. And I said, okay, baby, I appreciate you doing that. How much is it? And she goes, it's $25. And I say, put it back. This show does not have the budget for $25 items. She, she goes, yeah, you do. And I said, no, we don't. You can put it back. But she brought it to us anyway. So we're going to try this out. And when I first, well, first off, behind the curtain thing here, I spilled it all over my desk because I knocked it over. So I had to clean that up before we got recording tonight. So I got another one. So we will see. Now I have a little shot glass and Marty still has the container I gave him his in. So he's drinking a lot more or he may not drink as a lot. We'll see if the boy um, brings it back. So so what's, what's your thinking? It's definitely chocolate. I mean- I let Vanessa smell it. She went, no, because there's that, because there's that alcohol smell to it. 
There is an, oh, it's got a strong, yeah, it's got a good rum smell to it. Yeah. What is the proof? I don't know. I couldn't find it. Okay. I'm sure it's uh, somewhere. This would be good for Vanessa's um, coffees. Yes. A hundred percent. In fact, I have coffee later. I'm not going to drink the whole thing because I want to put some of this in coffee. Then we'll give it to her too. No, nah, she, she, well, I'll let her try the coffee. But are you ready to try this? I am. By the way, after Donna poured my second glass for me as I was getting set up, she's already tried it. So I can give you her thoughts on it. All All right. right, So are we ready to go back on this? Okay. Well, I'm not going to go down the whole thing because I want to save some. Right. But I'm going down. Mine's a little shot glass. Okay. Okay, Here we go. Okay. Mm. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Okay. Have you ever had cream liqueur? Uh, it, it's like a, uh, yes. like a butterscotch, like cream. That's exactly what this is, but this mm-hmm. is, is chocolate. This is good. I got a little heat coming. I, I, is it heat from the alcohol? I don't know how to ex- explain that. We have a little, a little burn. burn on the back. Yeah. Yeah. But you're right. It, it, it tastes like warm chocolate milk to me with a little burn. Yes. I don't know that I would sip it by itself, but mixed with coffee and stuff. I think this is good. I think this, this is much better than the other, uh, moon pie moonshine I had, which was clear. Mm-hmm. So that just had moon pie flavoring, but this, like I said, it's a cream. If I said it looked like chocolate milk, it's not really true. It looks like coffee. Yeah, it's mm. from that. Now Donna loves it. Mm. She she goes, she oh, like it? Ooh, oh yeah, she said this is good. Oh my and gosh, like, uh, where can I get this around here? I uh, don't. They got it up in the mountains of Georgia oh, when they were geez. went to a hiking. So it's in the Tennessee area. I'm sure you could probably pick some up in Asheville, but I'm sure you could probably go online and order it. I just you know, that's different. That's good. Oh, maybe I could drink it by itself. I like it. I couldn't drink a lot of it. It's very chocolatey. It is very chocolatey. See, Donna said she felt like the rum overread the chocolate, but she's a chocolate ho- Wait, holic, but you, said, so. you said rum. Is it moonshine or rum? She keeps saying rum, so I don't know what moonshine is. It's supposed to be moonshine. Well, okay. Well, and, rum is based, you know, is made from sugar cane, and I, right. moonshine is not. No, it's not. It's made from corn mm-hmm. and gasoline. <laughs> Hey, if you didn't, if we didn't have moonshine around here, we wouldn't have NASCAR. Absolutely. <laughs> well, so I've, before we get off of this, I just wanted to bring it back because you, you and Vanessa did a taste bud for pumpkin spice moon pies. Correct. So you were over for a gaming day and thank you again for coming. That was very oh, nice of you to come out. I told my wife that Marty loves pumpkin because I've heard about pumpkin spice. He enjoys this pumpkin spice. He gets pumpkin spice uh, Starbucks. He does. No, I don't. Pumpkins. No, I don't. don't. I don't buy pumpkin spice anything. What did you just say, pumpkin? I. <laughs> it's getting to me. <laughs> the pumpkin. How much mumpkin. alcohol is in this stuff? Right <laughs> of here? That stuff, moon pies, good. Um, I'll be bringing it to Qdoba. We can have some good Qdoba. Uh, no, I I never order pumpkin spice anything. The pumpkin okay. spice moon pie was good for what it was, but I don't get pumpkin spice anything. Okay, see, I made a mistake. So she's she's in there. She's in, gotten into her holidays baking, and she makes these uh, pumpkin rolls, yeah. which is based cream cheese, confectionery sugar rolled up into a pumpkin cake. And I said, oh, Marty loves pumpkin. Marty loves pumpkin. So I offer Marty up some pumpkin, and he goes, I don't like pumpkin. Well, no, no, number one, it's not that I didn't like pumpkin, but Vanessa and I, for the whole month, are trying to go without gluten. She's uh-huh. wanting to see if that helps with her inflammation that she's having on her knee. Right. So I said, I'll do it with her because misery loves company. Oh, I appreciate that. That's why I didn't have any. No, I appreciate it. But you also, you're not a big fan of pumpkin. And that's just my mistake. But I did, if, if it wasn't for that, I 100% would have had a piece. Oh, I know. Because I love I cream know. cheese. Cream cheese on anything is good. 
Yes, especially I love cream cheese. Oh my gosh, I love cream cheese. Mm, cream cheese with a confectioner sugar. How can you go wrong? You can't. No, you Crap. Can't. Now I want a cake and I can't have any. No, you can't. Well, you can have a gluten-free cake. Oh, we actually had gluten-free brownies and they weren't that bad. No, the gluten-free stuff's not bad. No, it's not. All right. All right. So thumbs up for me on uh, Moon by Moonshine. Better than I expected. ShopPortalGames.com. Hurry over there because there is an Imperial Miners play for free Halloween solo scenario. Halloween's all over. The cute little, huh? Halloween's over. That's what I'm saying. You need to hurry over there oh, and download this. Because gotcha. if you don't, we never know when Ignacy's going to pull this stuff down. Oh, that's Actually, true. Actually, he, he keeps stuff up there a pretty long time. Mm. So, yeah. But this is the Halloween solo scenario. He's got all the cute little characters that are part of that. I have not had a chance to play that yet because I have yet to borrow my Imperial Miners copy from Marty. It's not mine. It's RDTN. So I need to do that from you someday. Maybe I'll remind you to bring it on game night. Sure. To bring, you know, the, um, Imperial Miners over there. There's also, you know... There's always 11 Imperial Miners. We've got a new guild coming out for Niroshima Hex 3.0 called the Merchant's Guild. There are upgrade packs for expansion. And of course, always go over to their website to check the Ding and Dent sale, as well as pick up various bundles that may be going on, including various play mats that Ignacy may have. The 11 uh, bundle, you can pick up everything for 11 for a big whopping $91. And then, of course, he has something new called his card sleeves packs. Everybody's getting into card sleeves. Ignacy did not want to be left out. So he has got the Portal Games card sleeves that you can go over there and pick up at shopportalgames.com. Also, we just announced uh, as of this recording that there's a new army for the Nurashima Hex app called Partisans. That is out right now. And... I saw an update on the Robinson Crusoe Kickstarter. It looks like it's on the boat. We'll be shipping sometime later, so you'll make sure you go hear about those updates. If you order Robinson Crusoe, look for it soon. Wait a minute. Robinson's on the boat? We know yes. what happened when Robinson was on the boat. He ended oh, up on the island. Oh, that's not good. That's not good. Oh, boy. So it's going to be on some island somewhere. Poor Robinson. Without any wood, we'll have to burn the game so we can set the bonfire. <laughs> Five-minute initiative begins in three, two, one. Christmas is right around the corner and... Jingle bells, jingle bells. I just saw my first Christmas commercial yesterday. And I'm just like, this is before, when we're recording this before Halloween, I'm just like, really? Really? It's that time? Vanessa's been watching Hallmark Christmas movies for a month, so... Well, that started in July. Oh, that's true. That's true. It was okay. Christmas in July. Okay, so back to what we're going to talk about. <laughs> Jockmock, the winter market. And winter made me think of Christmas. Anyway, but that's Henrik Larson from WizKids Game. And two words, Sushi Go. Mixed with the action selection mechanic of Takedo. Right. I know before we go into a lot of rules, because one of the things I liked about this is... Mm -hmm. As you're moving your meeple around the board, you're selecting cards based on that spot. And you may want to collect a certain card and it puts you in front of everybody else. Mm -hmm. This is the hard decision you have to make because you will not get to take your turn again until that meeple is the last meeple in the line of meeples that are out there. And I think that is where this game shines. I don't remember Sushi Go at all. 
But when we talked, said so we were going to talk about this, I was like, okay, I remember this game. I remember how these cards are working to, you know, score based on who has the most hot dogs or, or all my heavens, mm-hmm. you know, if you're collecting. And there's a ton of cards in here. And we only played with the basic set, you know. Oh, here's a card that you're going to give negative points to people. All this right. stuff is going on. And I'm just like, okay, so on my turn, I am going to claim a card. And then we're going to refill cards. <laughs> hey, there you go. There's the game. It's the mm-hmm. scoring and collecting of the cards that you're sitting there trying to manage without letting someone else beat you to it. Yeah, and when you set up the game, there's two stacks of cards. There's the uh, there's half the cards that you're going to draw from at the beginning of the game, and then a second deck, which maybe has a little bit more powerful. And, and like you said, we're not going to go all the different st- types of cards, but they have a bunch of different things where uh, one of them is just count up the number of, like you said, the number of hot dogs you have on this particular uh, set of cards that you have. Or, but the thing with the hot dogs is there's a scoring effect where if you're in first place, you have the most hot dogs, your victory points is cut in half. So you want to get a lot of hot dogs. You just don't want to get the most hot dogs. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of little clever scoring mechanisms like that. And like you said, there's one where you, uh, you can give somebody negative points, uh, etc. So yeah, the great decision in this game is when you're sitting there and it's your turn. Do I try to just jump at small gaps as possible to get a bunch of cards in my hand? Or it's like, uh-oh, that card way up there would really, really help me out. I'm going to bypass everybody and go to there knowing I'm not going to get to act again for a little while. Now, everybody does have two meeples that they're going to mm-hmm. be able to use uh, during the course of the game. So you do have another one you, that you'll pop, possibly be able to use. And the best is when both of them are back-to-back and you get basically two turns in a row. All right. Now, as your game progresses, um, there's two decks. There's the day and the night deck. And the first right. person that draws that says, okay, the day deck's done. Now the night deck comes out. You have a check mid-game scoring. Certain cards mm-hmm. have mid, mid-game mid scoring. And then at, once all the cards have been collected from the night set, and all of them have to, there's none left on the board. So you might get stuck with certain cards that you don't want because you're the last person to go. Strategy in that. Then you have to check for game ending scoring. A lot of scoring options here. So you need to make sure everybody understands that when the game is set up and the various cards that are being put on the board. So they know or they have some ability to kind of get that strategy going, to get that understanding of what they want to collect at the end. So uh, overall, this is one of those very family-friendly games. And if you want some diversity from the Sushi Go type of collection, definitely check this out. Yeah, and I'm I'm the same way. I think this is one of those games that anybody can pick up. They do have a lot of different uh, sets of of cards that you can use. I love this. There's like the first games. Like here, use these six cards for your first game. They're easy to understand. If you want, they have one that's called Friends and Family. One that's not too mean or anything like that. But then there's ones that maybe you could have a little bit more mean. It's like, okay, we recommend you use these cards if you would a little, little bit more player interaction and more of take that sort of deal. So I like that you can set up the game depending on the group that you have around you. I really like this too. I think it's a good family game. That is Jock Mock, the Winter Market from WizKids Games. Plays one to five players, 45 minutes. If this sounds up your alley, check it out. Five minute initiative is complete. Many, 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 many moons ago, one of our first co-op games here at Rolling Dice and Taking Names, video games, where we would get online and play was Borderlands. And I absolutely loved this game. 
I played the video. I got online and played just so I could get all these cool weapons and see how things were going to happen. So when we were at Gen Con and we were talking with Monster Fight Club and they said, you know what? We've got Borderlands, Mr. Torg's Arena of Badassery coming out by John Caddis and John Kowaleski. I was like, I was all in there. I was watching. He was talking about it. I was, I was enthralled by this, Marty, because I'm like, Borderlands, my, one of my favorite video games, is now a board game, one of my other favorite hobbies. I was excited. I was like, and he goes, oh, and guess what? Every gun in this deck is independent. It is unique. Okay, that's what I loved about the game. And then we got to play the game. But basically, this game is a dungeon crawl, run and shoot. Not a whole lot to it. Going back to Borderlands. So we actually played co-op mm-hmm. from start to finish. And that was one of the better video game experiences I've ever had. That was a lot of fun going through that entire game, playing co-op. And it was really great. You found weapons and stuff like that. So I was excited to play this too. It gives me the feeling of zombie side. You have things that are spawning. You're going to try to move and eliminate those things. And there's typically an objective that you're going to do to try to win the game. This does have a campaign element to it where your skills can increase over time. You can either get an improve your skills token as you play the game, or after the game is over, you actually get to improve your skills. So each of you have a unique character that you're going to pick. Pick whatever kind of uh, layout you want for that particular character. And then you're going to play through a campaign style game. This is something I didn't point out. No matter the number of players, you play with all four characters. If you're playing with two players, somebody will play with two, you play with two, or yeah. et cetera. Okay. So that's important to keep in mind as you're thinking about this. It's not like uh, Marty has a character, I have a character, like we did in the co-op game, where we just showed up online and you know we didn't have to worry about that. But you're, you're, yeah, you're right. This com- campaign leveling. Now, the unique thing about this game is that you have these various actions, these tokens, a green token, a yellow token. And if things go bad, one of those tokens can become red and they indicate everything you do. If you want to move, you will spend one of those tokens to move a certain amount, a green, maybe three spaces, a yellow will move you too. If you want to fire your gun, you will spend a token to roll that die to determine the chances of you beating the defense of the psychos or whoever is out on the the skag dogs or something like that. Oh, wait a minute. You need to defend against that. Those tokens are used to be your wounds because if you fail to defend, it becomes a red. And now you've only got a, you got a six sided die and it's going to suck for you later. All right. So that's it. That is the unique side of this game. How did you feel about that uh, type of mechanism? So I really liked that I had read up a little bit this on the, on this and it was there's a previous game a cyberpunk game that they use the same type of mm. activation I did appreciate that I liked it where okay I can use the green to move further with this person or can I possibly just spend the yellow to move less but then use my green to get a better chance of getting a hit when I roll the green die which was a d12 I really appreciate that but it was a was a tough decision uh, after everybody's activated the AI gets its turn and will possibly target you. And then you have to choose one of your tokens going to be to defend with. Well, do I risk it? Like you said, with the green and go from a D 12 to a D six? Probably not. I want to keep that green around, you know? So uh, I I will probably take a chance with, with the yellow. Now I do appreciate that. Uh, Let's say I've taken all three wounds. Uh, Every I've spent every one taken three wounds. 
I just respawn again and everything resets. I drop some stuff that I had at the, at that time, but at least I can go back to the spawn point and kind of start over. Right. And, and now that's only if you've collected money over the time, because uh, like in Borderlands, right. you know, if you kill somebody, they're going to be dropping some loot. And depending on if uh, it's a certain type of loot, it's either going to come into your inventory or it will be sitting on the board for you to take it. Now uh, there's vending machines, there's the mailbox, all that is on the board. Now this is one of the things that I didn't, uh, the campaign we played and we haven't played um, a lot of campaigns here is I did not find the fact that I have to draw this loot to get level up during the Mm -hmm. game. I wish there had been some way to level up to give me that feeling that I got in borderlands versus a random draw. If you've killed X number of people, by gosh, you should be leveling up. Yeah. Maybe the progression could be less random. Mm -hmm. Uh, Basically instead of a drawing a token out of the bag. Oh, I will mention one other thing I do like when uh, the game activates. I really liked it that you have this set uh, line of cards that is going to say, okay, uh, when the enemy activates this turn, they're going to move, they're going to attack, they're going to do their special. And then after that, it will move to the next card. And after four cards, it gets really hard after that. So I appreciate I can see exactly what they're going to do on their turn when it's their turn. And I can kind of plan for it at that point. Because some of these minions, you're going to look at it and say, oh man, the, the attack or the special on this guy is really, really bad. We need to try to take him out this turn before he activates at the end of this round. I do like that part too. So I like how the AI activates because it's smooth, it's quick, and I love the player activation by using those tokens to determine what die you're going to use. Big Knock is the rule book. Yep. It was a struggle. I read through it. I watched a video, which by the way, thank you for those who put together videos, but some of the rules had changed. Actually, the rule book that's online is different than the rule book that they printed. So you need to be very careful with that if someone is reading that. It's minor things, but who knows? trying to find things in a rule book. All those little knocks can can weigh or slow a game down as you're trying to figure out how to do it. But it's very clear on you use the tokens to do everything. But for some odd reason, our little gaming group had a little brain freeze on that. Now, how do I fire my gun again? How do I move again? That was probably the best part of the night was watching us keep ribbing each other. How do I do this again? Oh, and one other thing, if you get attacked and you haven't spent one of your tokens, you can have a reaction. That's very similar to what the game would do as you know, you're getting hit, you can be reacting to this. It's not just like they come in, punch you and run away. You don't, you can react if you know you're going to be attacked to your point, Marty, about the cards, who's how they're going to spawn or how they're going to move. And how do they move? There's a spotlight token. That spotlight token is very important because if you do something, the fans see that and they say, oh, focus on him. And now you become the focus of the baddies. Yeah, the rule book was kind of kind of tough. And we looked at other reviews and sure enough, a lot of people had issues with it too. Setup is kind of a bear too. Boy, there are a lot of decks in this game. <laughs> there are a lot of cards. There's a lot of decks. There's a lot of pieces. So there is a lot of setup. So even once you understand the rules, just understand that each time that you get going. Uh, it's going to get a while to get everything set up and ready to go. But you know, if this is something that sounds interesting to you because of the theme, uh, the player activation, you just like that kind of co-op game against the enemy. Yeah. I, th- I think it's something that you might be interested in based on maybe the, the, the theme alone and the player activation tokens, which is really cool. So that is Borderlands from Monster Fight Club. When I went to Origins in 2022, I got to play a prototype of a game called Empire's Inn. This is from John D. Clare, 
and publisher Brotherwise Games. Now, Tony, I like a lot of John DeClaire's games, Space Base, Ready, Set, Bet, etc. And when I heard like this was a game of, <laughs> what was the game? It's related to, you said it was a, what's the card game where you don't want to win and you bet to not win? Oh, no thanks. No yes, thanks. No thanks. It's like a Euro style version of no thanks, where you start out with this nice, crisp empire in front of you. You have some agriculture, you have some military, and everything is pristine. Unfortunately, over the course of the game, disasters are going to occur that can destroy or knock out some of those cards that you have in front of you. You start out with 11 location cards, and these, and these disasters could destroy one of those locations. So what you're doing is you're bidding to not to have to take that location. So each turn, and when a disaster pops up, uh, depending on where you are in the round of a game, you're going to start bidding resources based on the car will tell you, hey, I want these types of resources. And he's like, I'm going to bid one not to take that. Tony goes, well, forget that. I'm going to, I'm going to bid a couple not to take that. And you keep going around till somebody just says, you're, you're not really bidding. You're simply just paying resources to not take the card. That's true. Yeah, but you're gonna, eventually you're going to get to the point where you just can't afford to give up any more resources and you're going to take that disaster. But now the benefit is all those resources that were thrown in there, you get those, which will hopefully keep you from having to take a disaster card in the future. And that's where the challenge of the game is, is trying to read your opponents to see if, oh yeah, I'll give you one food because hopefully it'll come back to me because I'm going to need some food. Mm -hmm. Because in other stages of the game, such as the economy stage of the game, certain cards will allow you to convert resources to other resources or they'll give you the potential to gain particular resources that will help you also recover from these disasters like rebuilding your empire. And it's funny that you said a crisp empire at the beginning. Actually, it's a crisp empire near the end because everything is crispy. <laughs> it's all been that's, burnt. That's true. Because each of the disaster cards, when you flip over your card, there's a, there's a nice fire. Uh, there's, a, there's a fire at the bottom that has that treatment that, uh, what's it called? Emboss. Is emboss, it emboss? Yeah, the boss like an emboss treatment to it that looks uh, really nice. But yeah, the disaster card will actually tell you which location is getting ready to go under. So it may be a situation to where, oh, I don't mind if this location goes under because I don't really need it. So like you said, it's a push your luck. I'm going to push it till hopefully it comes back to me and I can get a bunch of nice uh, resources that you can use. And you basically got a pawn that moves along a track and you just resolve each phase uh, of, along the track. Like you said, there's the income where you actually get stuff, the industrial, industrial where you can rebuild disasters, or you can, uh, there's some cards you have in your hand that you can add to existing locations by spending hammer resources to make them a little bit better. There's a military phase where everybody's going to count up the number of uh, cross swords they have visible. And then there's the the military card that comes up will say, okay, you need a certain number of swords in order to get this many victory points, certain number to get this many victory points. But whoever has the most will get a lot of benefits. So then you can secretly bid because you also have some sword tokens that you've accumulated over the course of the game. Do a secret bid. Whoever has the most gets those most points. So it's a constant of, I'm trying to build an economy where I can get resources, but I know those resources have to be spent to avoid disaster, but I know eventually this empire is going to come to an end. I'm going to have to take some disasters along the way. I just hope that by the end, 
I have enough of my locations that are still not burning that will generate the victory points I need. Because yeah, victory points are the winner, and I'm going to correct something he said so we don't have to pay $5. It's axes you bid during the military phase. What I say? Not You said swords, but that's... Either way, oh, it's a because weapon. I'm looking, I'm looking at the cards, and it's cross. And that's what was confusing yeah. to me. It's cross swords, but the resources are axes. I don't know why. Because there's axes that you can pay towards avoiding disaster, which you know that hey, maybe I'll take that disaster so I can have those later to do the military, which is secret before it, you know when it comes up. So there's always a big benefit for this, and it's one of those things that you know these locations they're varying in victory points, so you really don't want to lose the high cost one of thirty two, but you may want to sacrifice the old three pointer of the farm over there. But some of the cards allow you to shift the locations as long as they're not on fire. Certain ones are making sure that, hey, if I'm sitting beside a certain location, I will gain a benefit. These are some of the improvements that you're doing. The teach was very quick, and it was very easy to understand after, I'd say, one or two rounds. Uh, you know, hey, first time play, if you've gone a long way into it and you still aren't grasping it, that's a problem for me. But for this game, it was like first round. Okay, what is the economy? Oh, Okay, I see what's happening here. I see what we need to do. Top-notch, very enjoyable game. The Kickstarter edition that Mark got was uh, amazing. I'm uh, jealous. Why didn't I back this Kickstarter version? Because right. everybody has a nice player mat. In the in the retail version of the game, there's no player mat. You've got these nice upgraded tokens, mm -hmm. which are really nice. You know, you talk about things shifting. What was crazy was if you didn't win the military phase, something bad would affect all those who didn't come in first. And some of those would be like swap locations and it may be locations. Crap. I don't want those to swap because you like said, you might have an enhancement that says, Hey, if there's a building beside a farm to the left and right of this enhancement, they're going to each give me four points each. But a, a just random military card that you may not have won may have swapped that farm with something else. And it's like, crap, now it just cost me four points at the end of the game. So then when you're on the military phase, it's like, well, do I bid a lot to make sure that those things don't swap? It's just a really good, tense game. Your empire will crumble. It's just how can you best manage the crumbling to basically hobble to the end and have enough mm -hmm. victory points to win the game? Yeah, and that's that's what I enjoy. Fast teach, easy to understand, iconography top-notch. It wasn't that hard to keep up with. You could see what was coming, so you could plan ahead. However, there was enough tension to where it was not, oh, this is going to happen. This is going, you know, very, I, don't, I hate to use the word scripted here because it wasn't. I mean, definitely not for this game. And that to me makes this a top notch game. And now I need to go get a copy of it. So yeah, I um, guess I'll be hitting up Brother Wise's site. Or hey, maybe it's out at a miniature market where I can get $10 off by using a roll 10, rolling 10, rolling 10. That'd be great. So that is Empire's End from Brother Wise Games and John DeCliff. So as we continue our tear through the two-player games, we got on the table the game The Hunt from the Kramers. That's Matthias and Ingen. And this, of course, is from 25th Century Games. It's a sub-game. I don't know what it is. Are subs the new nature, Marty? I don't know, but we are hunting for subs. We're trying to blow up some ships, man. You put this on the table, and, and you know I like my, my sub-games. And I'm just like, okay... How is this different than anything else we've been playing? But let me tell you, the card play and the strategy of this game caught me by surprise. I was not anticipating the depth that we had in this game. 
So this game, it's very much asymmetric. The Germans have a hidden sub that you must track. The German must track themselves on a piece of paper or something like that. And uh, there are freighters that are trying to get from one location to the other. This is like 1939. The Germans are trying to sink the freighters. The Brits have put out some battleships to go and try to hunt down these subs. So how you play the game is through card play. Each of you have your own deck. You're going to play a card. The card can be used for the text on the card or the points. Now, we've seen this in many other games, Twilight Struggle, uh, Watergate, etc. So we're very used to those style of games where either use the action points and spend those for uh, moving your ships around. Or for me, I had the um, option of trying to get uh, other ships that are docked out there so I could have up to three battleships. Uh, the Germans had the option to repair an airplane because airplanes are important because they can be used in order to try to help sink uh, the freighters by giving them the bonus when they roll. Uh, the Germans also had the option to bank action points for future turns, uh, which is really cool too. So they play totally different. And basically it's a cat and mouse uh, style game where the goal is the Germans must sink five freighters, England or the Brits will win if they can get five freighters uh, from one point to another or either find and sink the sub. Now you've played this many times and way more than I have. What's your gut on this? My gut right now is I have played eight or nine times and I think I've seen the Brits win only one time. Mm, That would not have gone well. That would have changed history, dude. It would have, but it is... And I've played both sides, and I definitely find for me it's easier to keep that sub hidden. Because one of the actions on the British's turn is they can try to do a search. They're in a location. They say, I, th- I think the sub is here. They've been trying to track you and everything like that. Now, when you do that, you can you can increase your odds. You can play a card from your hand that might can give you a bonus to your roll. Because you're going to roll a die. Five or six means you get to successfully check to see if the sub is actually there. But like I said, they can play some cards to maybe help their odds. Maybe it's like only a a four or five or six will help. But if I miss, even if I roll a five or six and you're not there, well, that's that's it. I missed you. And this just was tough for us to be able to find that sub it was moving around. Mm -hmm. It was like you had to develop some strategy with the freighters. Listen, we're going to sacrifice this one. Kind of like when they did Enigma. And they they said, we're going to have to sacrifice some so they don't change the codes on you. You had to strategically think that. Now, I will say, there is a lot of tension in this game. Even when I was playing as the German sub-commander, Admiral Graf Spee, and trying to sink those ships, and you're sitting right on top of me. And had that dice come up with that five... Oh, game end. Let's get to the end of the game. If I hadn't sunk five, how do we resolve that end of the game? So if we actually end up in a battle, then we're going to play uh, five cards. We're going to pick a card, put it face down. Whoever has the highest strength wins. Now, there are some cards that have events on them called battle cards, which could help you out. But the decks are built in such the way that there's higher value cards for the British than there is for the Germans. So if you get to the battle stage, the rules say more often than not, the Germans will lose at that point. Because the rules also state that the British will rarely be able to successfully get five freighters from uh, one side of the map to the other. Mm -hmm. So you've really got to concentrate on that strategy. How do I try to suck you into a trap? To quote Admiral Akbar, it's a trap. Now, there are other things you can do to try to help yourself out. Uh, you could play a card. There's some uh, icons at the bottom of the British card, which one of them I told you, you could help with the search role, but you can also have hints. You could say, okay, you need to put a hint token, which means the German player must put a hint token either on the hex that they're in 
or any adjacent hex. So if you play a couple of those, you might can narrow down where they possibly might be and do a search that turn. But as soon as the Germans move again, and, and movement is done by spending action points, you spend one point to move one, two points to move two, spend four points to move three spaces. But as soon as they move, those hint tokens come off the board. So it's really you got one shot to try to get it in that one turn. Now, you, the Brits also do have an advantage too. They have a higher hand size. They can have up to five cards in their hand. Germans typically only drop to three, but there is another ship on the board, a German supply ship. And if the sub, if your sub is ever adjacent or on that space, you could say, oh, by the way, I'm drawing five. And that lets the British person know, okay, I know they're in that general area. I'm going to make a beeline over there right now. Mm -hmm. I, and I think when we were playing this, one of the things about the the hunt or the hint, I'm sorry, the hint is that you're having to get rid of cards to do that. So even if you find me, you've depleted your ability to beat me in battle. Mm -hmm. Very tight. When I say that, I'm just saying, hey, you've got a lot of hard decisions and the game it's not like you suddenly blow the sub out of the water. It could go either way on that final battle. And especially if the German player is holding back a few extra cards, love how those card plays are there. And we didn't mention uh, how the Germans sink freighters is they take it. What's called a search action. And if they're, that means they must surface. I will not surface. They indicate I'm attacking this freighter. So the, the British player knows exactly where they are at that time. If their airplane is available, they can spin their airplane to add plus two to their roll. So at that point, they just need a three, four, five, or six in order to sink a freighter. If they do, they claim it and it comes off the board. And next round, another framer, uh, freighter will come out of the bag and onto the board. So that's how they're able to get their winning achievement is also by doing searches. They do have to reveal themselves, but then they'll move again and, and they'll be gone. So as the British player, I'm always trying to constantly, okay, he could have moved one space or two spaces depending on the action points that you you did. So again, I really enjoyed the game, but as many times as I played, it just seems the Germans keep coming out on top. It, me and my buddy who's been playing at work, we just go back and forth trying to find, I mean, one thing that we have found, get a lot of hint tokens on the board as possible. At least you could narrow it down to maybe one or two spots. But then even if you guess the right spot, it comes down to a, a roll of the die at that mm -hmm. point too. And uh, if the British is smart, they're able to get three battleships out on the board. So at least you can comb the entire area. And there are events on the card, which will do things like peek at your opponent's cards, make them discard cards. But some of them are use one and remove from the game. And it just so happens those cards have the highest action point values on them. Like I had one that was really good. It says you can move, as the British, you can move all your ships up to one space and do a search in every spot. That was like my golden ticket to try to find you. And I used it. Unfortunately, I missed. But now that five action point cards out of the game. I'm going to sum it up for me. Very good, enjoyable game. Two people, if you if you enjoy the sub battles and the, and the tension that that can bring with how, the hidden feature, go check out The Hunt from 25th Century Games. Any final thoughts? Uh, yeah, so for me, I really enjoy these two player type asymmetric games too. I love the card playing in it. I just got to get better playing as the Brits. So yeah, this is actually from uh, Salt and Pepper Games and was brought to us uh, by 25th Century Games over here. Two player, 30 minute game, asymmetric. It's going to stay on my shelf because I'm going to figure out how to win as the Brits. Five minute initiative begins in three, two, 
one. One of the hot card games this year has been Sea, Salt, and Pepper. This is from Pandasaurus Games and designer Bruno Cathala and Theo Rivera. It plays two to four players, 30 to 45 minutes. And Tony, one thing I like about games like this is when the rules are super simple, and I think that's what we have here, but what makes the game unique is it's somewhat of a set collection game, but some cards have some variable powers depending as long as you can get two of them together in order to play a power on your turn. So there was a couple things that I really enjoyed about this game, Marty, was first mm-hmm. off, I've never seen a game where you have two discard piles, which forces people to make a decision. So that is one thing that is very interesting to me. And I know as we go over the rules, people will understand that. And the other thing that I really like about this game is the ability to wager, to push your luck at the end of the game and say, hey, everybody take a last chance because I think I have the highest points. And I Mm -hmm. like games that have that push your luck where you're willing to take a risk, especially when it comes to card play. I enjoyed this game when we were playing it. Now you said simple rules. Well, we had a few questions, but that's but it was better after we played it. So give yourself a few rounds to get get the feel of the game and understand. Yeah, I think it's understanding what the cards mean because when it comes to your turn, you must either draw two cards from the deck and then discard one to one of the discard piles or take one card from the discard pile. I think the thing we had to kind of uh, wrap our head around was the concept of after that, you could play a duo card. There are cards in here that have icons in the upper left-hand corner. And if you get two of the same one, you could play it for an effect. For example, there's one that says, you immediately take another turn. And in the games that we play, you destroyed us with that one because you were able to collect those where you could get um, extra turns, which was really nice. There's one that says, uh, if I play two of these cards together, have fish on it. Uh, you can add the top card from the deck to their hand. Another one lets you go through the deck and pick a card that you want. Now, that's where the different discard piles may Mm -hmm. make a difference. Also, on trying to remember what cards in what discard pile. And then there's one more where you can actually steal a card from somebody's hand. Right. So you're trying to match these up and possibly take additional little power turns when it's your turn after you've either drawn two cards or just drawn one from the discard. Yeah. And and I like the fact that on your turn when you're either taking two cards from the top pile or choosing one from the discard. The taking the two is it gives you an option. You still have to get rid of one. So you mm-hmm. never, so nobody ever builds an advantage. I also like the, the tension that you have because when you get to seven points, you can call the end of the game, but there's also one where, Hey, if somebody has all four mermaids, they win the game. Said and done. Other than that, you're playing to a set number of points, depending on the number of players. And for us, it was 35 with three players. So set collection, you know, some of these sets you're sitting out there and the more you have of the shells, the more points you'll get. So you've got to watch who's collecting what. Then you have multiplier cards. Hey, if someone has a lot of pink ones, then you want that multiplier card. So a lot of combinations that you have to be able to Go for it and also watch what other people, because you may not want, hey, Marty's collecting penguins over there. I better not discard this penguin, but it kills my hand. I don't want to do that. Exactly. Or you may know, or I may see that, okay, I'm going to draw two cards from the top. And let's say there is a shell on top of one of the discard piles. And I've noticed you've been collecting a lot Mm -hmm. of shells. The more you have, the more points you have. I may take my card and discard it on top of it so that you can't grab it on your turn. Now, you said it's 35 points. That's the end of the game, but you play in rounds. Once somebody reaches seven points, they have the option to say, just stop, let's score our points. Or you can say, last chance, and then you're gambling that after everybody has one more turn, 
you have more points than everybody else. And if you win on that bet, you get all the points for their cards. Right, because you get a color bonus at that point. Mm -hmm. Very solid, enjoyable card game. And I think for people, as you're teaching it, you may just need to walk through a round so that people can understand what all the cards mean and how to score and get the feel for the duo cards. Because I think that was one of the things, the speed bumps that we had to encounter as we were playing was, how's this working? I really enjoy this game and we've played a ton of card games lately. How about you? Yeah, so I really enjoyed it too as a person who likes card games. My question for you is you have a lot of friends and family earning into card games. Do you think this will be too much for them or do you think after a couple rounds they could grasp it and play it for those who don't play a lot of card games i think it would be a little too much for them though i do think the group that understood let's do it like this if you know scout you can do this Mm. from a strategy standpoint because even though scouts a lot easier to play but very enjoyable i think it's something that people can quickly catch on to got it so that is sea salt and paper from pandasaurus games out now five minute initiative is complete Back in episode 261, we reviewed a game from Phalanx called 1941 Race to Moscow, which was a pickup and deliver route networking uh, style game. Phalanx just released a brand new updated version to one of their other games called Race to the Rhine called Keep Em Rolling 1944 Race to the Rhine. So you may be wondering, wait a minute, if there's a Race to the Rhine in this, what's different? Well, here's what's different. Race to the Rhine only supported up to three players. So this one has up to four players now. There's a solo option. There's new components and a rewritten rule book, but everything else plays the same. So Tony, we don't really need to go into how this game really plays because if people want to go back and listen to 261, where we kind of did an in-depth review on this game. But essentially, we're each playing a member of the Allied Forces, trying to establish a supply line up to Dusseldorf. And along the way, we may be doing some combat. But the thing is, though, as you move your forces forward, you need to keep them supplied with fuel, food, and ammo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, the only thing that's missing, it's if you're, when you're doing logistics, it's beans, beds, and bullets. Just remember that. <laughs> beans, beds, and bullets. Yeah. So there's a supply depot. Uh, down at the south end of the map. And you're establishing a line along the way. And as you're doing that, you can use these trucks in order to load the trucks to move supplies from one city to another. And when you go into a city, you may have to flip over an event card. The event card may be something good. It may be something, maybe nothing happens, or you may actually have to fight against an enemy force. And the combat resolution is really straightforward. The card will say, hey, you need to spend this amount of fuel, this amount of ammo. If you do, you win. You take over this place. So that's why you got to keep your forces supplied for these random encounters that happen along the way. This game is all about, and they even say this, it's all about the logistics of a war game. It's not carrying in the biggest guns or anything like that. It is about developing those supply lines and cutting off the supply lines of the German forces. Because when you do, you get special tokens, you get special abilities from the standpoint of, hey, you can go do this. And some of the main elements that for me, the difference in this was 
with Race to Moscow versus Race to the Rhine. We were dealing with the Germans trying to get to Moscow on the trains and how the trains really did limit your ability to do that. Here, you have that ability to bring the trucks back and to rebuild your logistics route. And I think that was one of the key things that stood out for me on this as the Allied commanders raced there because they didn't like each other. Patton hated everybody. Okay. <laughs> he just, he didn't trust anybody. So he's out there. He's like, I'm going to get there first and I am going to take him out in Dusseldorf. Yes, I do. I do like that. Uh, this is probably an easier one to get into because the trains are involved in this one. And after a certain amount of uh, trucks have been used, you reset. All the trucks come off the board. And that's important because once you put a truck into a line that you've used, you can't use that line again until that truck is removed mm-hmm. then reestablished. Now, you just not aren't able to do this willy nilly because uh, the the axis the Germans are going to be moving south uh, from Germany and as they do that they might be able to take over places that you've already taken control of because the thing is for a victory condition to take hold you need to cross the Rhine and take control of a place across the Rhine and have an unbroken chain of your tokens going from the south end of the map all the way to the north. And the longer it takes you, the more entrenched they become, mm-hmm. the, the axis. And it is hard to get rid of them because you've got to get those supplies up to the front. And this is, I think, one of the things where you and I, if we can keep getting this on the table, is we'll get better at the logistics because we've got to forward position our supplies to allow us to make an additional advance. Now, depending on which commander you're playing, you'll have certain areas on the board to the left, the center, or to the right. The one on the left is dealing with the English Channel and having to deal with supplies coming in that way and how they can surround or control an area. Because once you can control an area, you basically shut it off and you're able to remove some of the German entrenched tokens that are there. I like these kind of games because it is a game of a lot of fault. Now, I did Mm -hmm. not know when Rolling Dice became a war game podcast. I, I, I missed that memo. I know we have been doing a lot of historical games, but I think what's interesting about this, like you said, it's not a war game. It's That's not right. like we're, it's, not. it's literally a logistics. It has the theme of World War II, but it's literally just trying to take different types of cubes and get them from one point to another as best possible. And the trucks have a limited number of supply they can carry. Each location you control has a limited number of supply they can hold. But like you said, if you can forward supply and as your forces move through, pick up those supplies as needed and continue moving forth. That's the beauty of this game. I really like it too, but boy, I really stink at it. <laughs> oh yeah. I, I mean, we've played this, we played race to Moscow. And I remember even then I was like, why am I so bad at this? I love everything about it, but I just really do a bad job of planning ahead for future turns to have supplies where they need to be. Oh, I know. And it's just like, why, why am I not getting this? When you go through the rule book, and one thing I want people to understand is it's not so much, it's not a complicated process. What needs to happen? It's very simple to understand and explain with one another. I think the biggest challenge we had during the game was doing back the pursuit, you know, or I'm sorry, not the pursuit, but how the Germans came and and spawned, for lack of better better words, how all that interaction was. Everything else is pretty straightforward on what you're doing on your turn. I mean, you're moving the corpse, you're taking supplies, you're moving the trucks, 
You're doing some air support. That's it. That's all you're now, doing. Once, one thing that stunk was at the beginning of the round, you can go into the general supply area and get take stuff from uh-huh. there to put in your supply. We were all fighting for the same stuff. Well, it's yeah. like, boy, I, I need ammo. And there's, and when you reset at the beginning of the round, all your supplies get re- restocked. So everybody's quickly grabbing up what they can. And then later in the round, they start transporting those goods. And like I said, once all the trucks have been used, everything resets again. So I really like how the whole reset mechanic works. You know that you'll be able to get some more supplies later on. So yeah, I stink at it, but I really enjoy my time playing it. And you know, I told you about the GMT games that uh, Volker Runka came up with, a levy and campaign. Mm-hmm. What I enjoy about those is the logistics part of every single game of you have a lord he can only carry so much, so many provisions and food and stuff, and he goes on his way. You hope you plan well enough to be able to feed his troops while he's on the campaign, and if you don't, well, he's going to die. Mm-hmm. So I just like logistics. I think it's interesting and how to and how to gamify that part. So I really enjoy these. I enjoy the. I mean, I look at my shelves. I'm like, oh man, all these war games. But then I think coming back to this. It's not a war game. It is a logistics. It is a puzzle that you're trying to outdo other people based on what they're doing. You're actually battling one another and it's for those supplies and for that. Marty just took control of a path that I could have gotten and that would have really helped me out because if I secure these victory points that I need, I can use special actions like spend a medal to do an airborne landing or something like that. So we're, we're going against each other even though we even though cooperatively we're trying to get there, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of a, a, an interesting sort of thing going on there. If you already have race to the Rhine, the only reason why you'd want this is because it has uh, a little bit clearer rules, uh, adds another player and adds solo. If you have neither one of these, this is for sure the one you want to get. Cause this is kind of the full package mm-hmm. and uh, it's really nice uh, bits and everything like that. There is Race to Moscow. I think this is probably the better entry to this style of game than Race to Moscow, just because the Race to Moscow also throws in trains and stuff like that, too. So that is Keep Em Rolling 1944 Race to the Rhine from Phalanx Games. Tony, I got to tell you about this really cool video game that I played that came out last year, and I totally missed. I totally missed it when the game Vampire Survivors was the hot thing in 2022. Everybody was talking about it. It was like people's game of the year. It came out on the Switch this year. It's only $5. So I said, I'm going to check this thing out. My gosh, I've had the most fun with that $5 game, which feels like a throwback arcade game. It's kind of like a roguelike game where you have a character that you just use the joystick to move around a board and you try to kill vampires and demons and stuff as they approach you. But there's no fire button. Just the direction you move is the direction you fire. So it's not even a twin stick shooter like Robotron is. Move to the right, shoot to the right. So you've got these hordes coming in and your goal of the game is to try to last 30 minutes. If you can last 30 minutes on a map, you've beat that map. And there's a bunch of different maps to play. But as you play the game, you earn gold. And outside of the game, you can spend gold to make your character better. Maybe he moves faster. Or maybe you unlike uh, other characters that give you special abilities. Or maybe you reduce the cooldown of your abilities. But as you're doing a run, you get experience points and level up. And when you level up, it gives you an option. Hey, here's three new weapons. Which one do you want to choose? And you could pick a weapon and 
you keep adding these weapons to yourself and you level those up so that the, by the end, you just have weapons flying out all over the place. But of course, at that time, they're just rushing in and trying to take you out. And you're just trying to survive. It's chaotic. It's simple. It's fun. It is so worth $5. I really think you should, you should check this out. No, 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 no. I do. I despised Robotron. Wow. I don't, I did not enjoy the, to each his own on games, right? That's fair. And I just did not like those where you're ru- trying to run around shooting stuff and I got to survive for 30 minutes. This sounds like pure insanity for me to do because <laughs> of just how I would want to try to get better and better and better and I couldn't do it. But there's a natural progression where you automatically get better because you unlock more stuff. If you get the gold. Well, just playing the game, you get the gold. Okay. Because I'm sitting here, it's, oh, as you were talking about, I'm Googling here and they're talking about how to get 380 gold in so many minutes on this game or something. I don't know. Maybe I'll spend $5. Maybe it was on sale. I mean, I was on the uh, eShop the other day and I didn't spend any of my hard-earned uh, GameStop credits that I've bought for the Switch. Eventually, I will do that. Maybe when um, uh, this Christmas season, when the other Nizelda goes on sale, maybe I'll be picking that one up. I don't know. But, I don't know if that one's going to go on sale, but... I doubt it will either. Now, I mean, to, to the point of like, you know, I've been playing the mess out of Guild Wars 2 and we just finished up with the Halloween season, which is one of your favorite times, mm-hmm. that festival. I have yet to conquer the stupid clock tower and I know a five-year-old can do it because I've watched the video. I cannot master the jump. Wasn't there an easy version or something like it was? There was a new version of the clock tower because yeah. I tried it. I got about 75% of the way up and that's the best I could do. Right. And it's the, the stuff is not rising, not forcing you to jump and go very quickly. It's right. stopped. And you can do that now. I can't navigate. I hated, and that is the appropriate word for this game that I love so much, jumping puzzles in that game because of just how poorly the, it's not the graphics. What is it? You don't know where the edge is. No, it's the, it's the UI. It's being able to manipulate the camera to be able to see exactly where you are on the edge and how far you need to move before you jump, that sort of thing. Right. And if you double tap to, to do a quick dodge and you do that in jumping puzzle, death. Yeah. Oh, so frustrating. So this vampire, you know, survivors, $5, that's a great price point. Maybe, you know, but Man, I don't know. I, I, Robotron, I know you loved it. I just, I wasn't good at it. And that's why I didn't like it. I understand. I No, I totally get that. And it took me a while. To, I'm so used to a twin stick shooter. I wanted to move one way and shoot the other. And I, mm. you couldn't do that. You know, the first time I played, it lasted like four minutes. It's like, how am I ever going to get better? But I got enough gold to where I go, oh, okay, well, I'm going to buy this little upgrade. And the next time I played, it's like, oh, okay, I lasted six minutes. And now I'm going to buy this other upgrade. So, And then I started to learn the weapons. So when they came up, I would know, would know which one I wanted to eventually the point, like on the first map, I can do 30 minutes every time now. But the maps get harder as you go. So even if you mm-hmm. beat the first map. But now that I heard they're coming out with DLC, there's going to be like a story mode, a free, some free DLC. So I'm looking forward to that. It just, it just felt like a throwback to an old school 80s arcade game. And I like that. So you don't, even if, so if you complete a map, that's 30 minutes of your life gone. The next map starts. Well, you got I, another well, 30 minutes. Well, huh? It's 30. It's no more different than the 30 minutes of life of you trying to do your dailies on Guild Wars 2. Which they got rid of. Um, well, you know so what I mean. <laughs> I know what you mean. But but the, the question is, so let's say I'm done with the first map. Can I stop playing it and come back and do the second map? Yeah. 
Oh, okay. And, uh, by the way, you could pause any time. In the middle of a run, you can hit pause and just put it down and then come back later. Okay. You don't okay. have to play a full 30 minutes. Okay. That's okay. That's good to know. Well, now, maybe, a, maybe, maybe I'll waste $5 on it. Yeah, What's $5? You'll, see, you'll see. It's also on Steam, but I just like playing on the Switch because, again, the graphics aren't that, don't need to be that great. I got a free code for a game called Air Twister. Do you mm-hmm. remember the game Space Harrier? From years and yes. years ago, where you had it was like a third person shooter behind mm-hmm. a guy who had a jetpack, mm-hmm. and you could move up and down, left and right, and shoot. Imagine that it's a modern take on Space Harrier, uh, where there's a character doing the exact same thing. She's flying around, and you're trying to, to shoot stuff. Uh, once you get through a level, you take on a boss, and then it just gets progressively harder every time. So it's an arcade style game that after you die, you have to start all the way back to the beginning. And uh, and go again, but there's different modes in the game where you could like replay just certain levels if you want, or do the arcade mode, etc. Again, if you like Space Harrier, you may like this. If you like that style of game, the only thing that that's a knock to me is it's twenty five dollars, and it didn't feel like a twenty five dollar game to me. Uh, this was originally on a mobile phone. This was originally a mobile app style ah. game where you could control, and then it's now coming out to consoles. So I played it on the Switch. And again, I had a decent time with it, but I don't know that it's $25 worth decent time. To me, this game feels like it should be more like a $15 game. Mm-hmm. So it's one of those things that go out, watch some videos and stuff. And you, if it's on sale, maybe you want to check it out. But I will say one thing that was super annoying to me is that the music that was played on the main menu screen sounded like a band that was trying to make a knockoff version of Bohemian Rhapsody. It was the weirdest thing. I'm like, this doesn't even fit in this game. And there's this guy that kind of sounds like Freddie Mercury and it has the same feel of Bohemian Rhapsody. There's this little guitar lick that sounds exactly like Brian May. I thought this is really, really weird. A weird choice of a soundtrack to do for this. So I don't know. I had to turn off the sound in the menus because that song was like, I don't understand why this is here. But yeah, it's, again, it's another arcade style game classic space harriers type game so i appreciate them sending me the code to uh check it out so if you like space harry you might want to check it out we are entering the fall season actually down here we've already had a good cold snap sorry killed out all the spring or not the summer flowers for me and i'm just like okay is the yard ready i gotta get some bug killer down Got to get that ready to go. I've got the aeration done. I saw Marty has some good plugs pulled. He posted over in our Discord channel. Mm-hmm. So now's the time to start thinking about those of you with a uh, irrigation system. Got to get that ready to winterize and don't do something stupid like me and have it freeze and spend a lot of money getting it fixed. That's a bad thing. So take care of that. That is your PSA from Rolling Dice and Taking Names. And with that, I'm just simply going to say keep rolling dice and taking names. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you want to support the show, you can do so by heading over to buymeamoonpie.com. If you want to help us out, make sure to join our Discord channel. Don't forget our codes, ROLLING10, for $10 off, $75 or more at Miniature Market, and 30% off over at EWIN Racing by using code RDTN. We hope to see you next episode. We're still going to have a lot of games to cover. It's holiday season, so it's time to start buying stuff. Hey, Vanessa, I just wanted to let you know, we got some incredible feedback from the last episode where you were the host. That's just like icing on the cake because I had an absolutely great time doing the episode with you. Since it was so well received, how about you become a regular on the show? <laughs>